0: Hello, and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference.
1: And I'm Michael Adam Beck. I'm the director of Fresh Expressions United Methodist and the director of Fresh Expressions Florida. And today, our guest is Ramal Toon. Ramal is an ordained minister, magna cum laude, honor graduate from Howard University and Duke University School of Divinity. As a speaker, he travels internationally, sharing messages of hope that equip audiences with the skills to conquer life-limiting beliefs and to thrive. Uh, Committed to living into the six-word sentence that he defines his life, he helps people Heal their stories. So good. Uh, his platform and cross-sector relationships have positioned him in a, as a global leader who equips individuals, nonprofit leaders, corporate executives to recover from setbacks and achieve success. And as a social entrepreneur, Ramal has created the Clear Story Education, a nonprofit that teaches communities about the importance of mental health overcoming life-limiting beliefs, and provides scholarships for college students. He currently works as TMS Global uh, as Vice President for Strategic Partnerships, overseeing cross-cultural leadership development in programs in the U.S., as well as Accra, Ghana, Nairobi, and Kenya. He's the author of three books, and they're all awesome. You should grab them. Love is an Inside Job, God's Graffiti, and the most recently released, I Wish My Dad, The Power of Vulnerable Conversations Between Fathers and Sons. Ramal is the father of Amantun, an honor graduate from Hampton University, as well as University College of London, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. His son, Jordan, is an honor graduate from Morehouse College, uh, class of 2022, and is preparing for law school. So Ramal, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the podcast today. Um, We like to begin this uh, question with every guest. Tell us, who is Ramal Toon?
2: Who is Ramal Toon? Ramal, I am an introvert by nature uh, with extrovert tendencies. Um, I am a father. As mentioned in my bio, I am a generous giver, uh, a very caring person. Um, some say I'm very much an empath. So when I'm around people, I feel very deeply. Uh, I'm someone who loves to read, loves to travel. And uh, I'm a collector of people. I love meeting new people and building relationships. Um, my, my heart uh, as a person is for... Uh, people who come from challenging circumstances um, and are often overlooked and undervalued and helping them uh, live into God's purpose for their lives, um, to find a deeper sense of purpose and to understand God's plan for their lives so that they might thrive.
0: I like that. The people that are underlooked and over... uh, What was it? Overlooked and undervalued. I like that a lot. Um, That makes me think, actually, I have a coworker, we were just talking about how sometimes in certain like work environments where, um, you know, where you might get promotions and things like that, the people that are the most outgoing, that are the most kind of in uh in the presence of the bosses and that are you can s- you see the work that they do, they're the ones that might be most likely to get promotions when it's usually those people that are behind the scenes, the quieter people, the people that do the stuff that you don't always see that really keep the businesses going that get overlooked for promotions and that happens even in um you know in relationships and in things that are a lot more deeper and more important than just getting you know a raise
2: yeah no absolutely I think that um there's a lot of talent that goes overlooked because they're not the shiny objects, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but that doesn't mean that they, what they do and who they are lacks value. It just means that those in leadership need to have a keen eye for talent. And I think that when we treat all people with you know value and agency, we're able to see and tap into um, what's really inside of them and the gifts that they bring into a given environment. So uh, sometimes it's good to look look past the shiny objects and and see who else is in there, who's the diamond in the rough. As one of my friends says, you gotta open a lot of clams before you find a pearl. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's good, I love that. So one of the things um, in your new book, a big theme is uh, vulnerability. So would you talk a little bit more about what vulnerability means to you And what does it look like in a healthy relationship, whether it's in a family or in ministry or professionally?
2: Yeah, I think that for me, vulnerability means um, being courageous enough to uh, be all of who you are and not leave any parts of yourself on the cutting floor for the sake of what other people think. Uh, Vulnerability, from my perspective, Uh, It's not only courage, but it is a willingness uh, to let people in, uh, to embrace all of who you are. Um, Flaws and all, um, not just the parts of you that you think people like, but the parts of you that actually really need to be loved by people. Um, I think vulnerability allows us to truly experience love. When people see the parts of us that are not perfect, but love us, Um, And love those parts of who we are Um, I think that uh, in ministry uh, vulnerability is a superpower in ministry you know when you think about the the testimony and revelations they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies right the testimony requires vulnerability Um, it allows people to see us in our humanity um, and it allows people the opportunity to really identify uh with who we are and and really embrace the fact that you know as one of my friends says life be life um it lets people see when life is you know not always good that it's not a social media post um but with that um as as brene brown says often you know vulnerability requires trust and people who have earned the right to know your story. Um, and I think that through cultivating relationships with people and giving them a chance uh, to experience us in vulnerable times and, and emotional places, uh, lets us know uh, what the relationship is really about.
1: Yeah, so one of the reasons we wanted to learn from you and give our, our audience a chance to learn from you today is um, what you teach and how you live and what you embody. Um, Segue so well with a lot of the things that we teach in Fresh Expressions. And one of those being um, like the missional posture of vulnerability. So across mission history, there's been really, really bad ideas about mission, right? Mission done in the name of Jesus, but not in the way of Jesus, who comes in vulnerability, right, and takes on suffering in real relationships with real people, with real issues, with real in situations where life be life in, right? Um, and, and our posture has been, you know, you go in, you fix your community, you do whatever, you do the missional stuff, and then you put it on a report somewhere. Um, the way that we're talking about being church is actually going out into the normal spaces, rhythms of, of people's life in tattoo parlors, in dog parks, in burrito places, wherever, building those relationships slowly over time which requires vulnerability on our part. It requires us trusting God and like leaving behind our conceptions and even our theology sometimes and just really being with people and learning who they are and building those relationships. Um, so talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the way
2: you frame it, because I think that, um, you know, one, people aren't data points, right? When you talked about how missions is typically done, it's a, it's a head count, yeah. um, but people, it's this we are, ministry is relational, highly relational. Um, and I think when we really live into it and do it well, it is meeting people in those coffee shops, burrito parlors, tattoo places. You know, like I'm someone with tattoos, right? Typically, I would be overlooked. Um, I'm someone who came from an inner city environment. My mom was a substance abuser and alcoholic, and I panhandled as a kid. So without, uh, people coming into my experience and sitting with me and seeing me, um, I'm not so sure I would get here to the place that I am now without uh, people who are loving and caring and uh, certainly non-judgmental, but are able to see the the gift and the grace of God and the power of God on every person. And so, you know, where we show up uh in many instances uh i truly believe we become the evidence of who god is in the world and what that love looks like when we're able to go meet people um in in their context in their environments no matter what that looks like um so for me i think it's um you know it's really critical for uh followers of jesus to to follow him into those places you know when you look at where jesus hung out uh, it wasn't with church folks you know it was it was in the streets you know and and engaging people that were otherwise overlooked and over undervalued um, and showing everyone around them uh, what god can do in that context and what god can do in the lives of people um, having just regular conversations um and really getting to know people and allowing them to get to know us um beyond our personas and titles and and all of the you know all of the stuff right that we like to show but getting allowing people to know our hearts our fears our anxieties our doubts our hopes our dreams um allows them to identify and draw closer to us as we introduce them to the you know the god of our lives
1: yeah, so a follow-up question on that. As somebody who goes around keynote speaking, you know, best selling author. I've I've experienced you, you know, presenting at conferences and such. Um, and, you know, great crowds, you know, coming to hear what you have to say and learning from you. How do you how do you balance that? Like what is your what is your week look like on the on the daily? In between, in between those things, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. If people really knew my life, I mean, I think it's the shiny things. I'm always moving around the country on planes and speaking and traveling to other countries. But if they were to sit in my house with me, they would be bored, um, <laughs> because I rarely leave the house. I stopped driving four years ago because I don't go many places. Um, I'm typically at home. You know, percolating a new idea and writing, journaling, meditating, taking naps. Um, <laughs> I, 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 am, I love my naps. They are a daily part of my life. Um, and that's really about it. I mean, my days are slow. Um, for me, they're slow, I would say. I mean, in a regular day, I'll get some work done. But my life is not driven by work. Um, I'm very intentional about um, being present. Not only to other people, but to how I'm feeling, Um, allowing myself to be present to myself, be that taking a walk in the morning to get a cup of coffee or just going out in the yard and looking at the flowers. You know, it's it's really simple. Um, I I think that there is real power in stillness, and and that power is in the ability to show that you do not have to be busy in order to have value that you already matter and you're already enough um not in your doing but simply in your being and so i do my best to um treat myself well with rest um and from time to time hanging out with friends when my my energy meter is high enough
1: for human interaction so good and and just so absolutely countercultural. um you know what you just shared i love that jesus took naps you know too and um mm-hmm. the I, I feel like the world just programs you like if you're not busy you're not important
2: mm-hmm. yeah uh, well you know the, the the economy needs that right um i think that um the more we're in relationship with people and on a deeper level, actually the less we are spending, right? Because when we're with people seeing the value of relationship um, and just, just hanging out, I had, uh, we do a house church on Sundays and uh, for Easter, there were about 35 people in my living room. You know, we had communion and we had a meal together and we just hung out um, it was a potluck. And so everyone brought their kids. And I remember at one point just standing at the back of the room, just looking around and thinking to myself, this really feels good. Like this, this right here, this moment, hearing these children, looking at people in conversation, this is what the journey is all about.
0: Yeah. I especially think like, um, yeah, we live kind of in this thinking of Easter in this world of like the spectacle. And so people put on these big churches, put on these big shows to bring in and draw all these people. Um, There's that one church who they will take like modern stories. Like they even did one around like the Marvel movies and then they turned it into the Jesus story. And it's so interesting because it's like, I mean, I guess, you know, have fun, but they're doing it um like on Sunday mornings and stuff. And for a lot of people, I think that, you get wrapped up and you think like this is what it's about but then it's really i think those quiet moments and i think that we see that a lot throughout scripture you know you see jesus wasn't always you know he wasn't in the middle of these big high energy things he was hanging out with his friends he was stepping away to be by himself um he was just speaking and crowds grew around him as he was just talking about the things that, you know, the things that he cared about and sharing his wisdom. And it wasn't a big show, you know? And I think, um, we lose maybe a little bit of our, the, our like humanity when we try to turn things into spectacles,
2: I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that sometimes the spectacle is a, is a intentional distraction so that we don't have to confront our shadow selves. Right. Mm. Uh, I think Maya Angelou says, um, every one of us needs to look in the mirror and be honest about what we see Mm -hmm. Uh, when we are caught up in the limelight and the entertainment of things it it allows us to be distracted from dealing with uh the parts of ourselves that we don't want to see um and in essence that keeps us from healing and thriving right it becomes an opioid right we're we're looking for the next high of sunday right make me Mm -hmm. feel good just today um, but the real the real change through deep relationship uh, with Jesus and with people is allowing you to really look at yourself and be honest about what you see. Um, the good things certainly, you know, expressing gratitude for those. But even looking at the parts of ourselves that we don't always want to confront uh, the ghost, right? Um, you know, a part of why I wrote. All three books but even uh i wish my dad was being intentional about confronting my shadow self uh Mm -hmm. the fact that this was not a good relationship and that i was actually repeating that cycle with my son and wanted to invite other people into that journey of looking at the hard stuff and and healing it and so that you don't have to carry the weight of it and you know there's a saying, you know, the church is a hospital for the sick, right? I, I truly believe that, um, if the hosp- if the church is truly a hospital for the sick, then we need more recovery units. Um, because mm-hmm. without the recovery unit is where people get better without the recovery unit. It's we're really more of a hospice, um, mm-hmm. because we're not helping people get better. So, uh, I think that in confronting our shadow selves and, uh, through real engagement and ministry and not getting caught up in the entertainment of it uh, gives people the opportunity to really deal with the hard parts of their lives so that they're not as hard anymore. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, so can you walk us through kind of what that journey looked like for you confronting your shadow self and, and where you're at today and, Um, Just give us, for our listeners who haven't had a chance to get the book yet, give us like kind of an overview.
2: Yeah. I mean, the journey for me really came about after my mom died. My mom was, she had overcome addiction actually through a church rehab program uh, and was really thriving. And I remember she used to send me letters and we would talk about the Bible together. Um, She died at 53 of lung cancer and i think that was when i hit bottom and what that looked like for me was the realization that success did not deliver on the promise of happiness Hmm. i thought that attainment and success and um you know being in the right crowds going to the right meetings and owning all the right stuff would eventually fill the void and give me some form of peace and happiness. And there I was when my mom died, questioning my own very existence, um, because I realized uh, that night that I was a, a walking contradiction, and I had I was hiding all of my contradictions, and that I was this, you know, as you read the bio, I was I was those things, but I put away. Who, who I was as a kid, how I grew up, the challenges I had to overcome in order to fit in, and that fitting in uh, didn't deliver on acceptance, on feeling valued, on feeling like I mattered. Um, I was hiding, and I I couldn't hide anymore. The weight of it, um, of not fully being myself and owning my entire story, uh, had become too much for me to carry anymore. And so, for me, this journey of vulnerability um, became one of counting the cost, uh, one of really looking at how I really want to remember my own journey, um, the freedom that I desire to have, uh, to fully live into this life that God has gifted me with, um, and to live a life that didn't require secrets and to realize that by confronting them through the power of the holy spirit and real healing um, i could turn uh that pain into medicine and give it back to the world um, through testimony and showing other people that you can overcome you can heal uh, you can confront the darkness and, and and defeat it um that you are worthy not only are you worthy of love, but you really can truly experience it. Um, And that not everyone will shame or judge you for being all of who you are, but there are people who, if you're courageous enough, are willing to love you and love all of you.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's so great. I think you talked about, you know, accepting the, your whole story. And I think that I'm just kind of thinking through that again, of like the idea of wholeness is not just like, oh, I'm like healthy and all these different facets of my life, but it's, I'm accepting my whole story and I'm able to integrate the truths of those difficult things that I faced and those those poor decisions that I made and those, those things and those highs and lows of my life and being able to see them for all that they are and realize, and at the end of it, I'm still worthy of love and grace and acceptance. And I deserve to be in a space where I can be my true self and, and to speak those truths of who I am and what I've done and where I've been and be loved and accepted for that. And then I can journey on knowing that and having that reassurance.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's that, the idea of Jesus saying, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I came to the realization that I wanted everything that God says I could have in terms of who I could become in the world. At the same time, I was wrestling with my story, my trauma, right? You're not enough. You're not worthy. You don't matter. You're not smart. And those things had more power over my journey than my faith did. And I wanted... What God had for me so bad that I realized the only way to get there was to confront those parts of my of parts of me that didn't believe I was enough was to name them in prayer. You know, my favorite scriptures tattooed on my body, Isaiah 613, God will give you joy for mourning, praise for despair and beauty for ashes. Right. Mm-hmm. Realizing that that's an exchange. I wanted to give God my ashes to receive beauty. And in order to do that, I had to confront that, those parts of me and name them before God. Mm-hmm. Like I do have anxiety. I have doubts about myself. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm enough or that I don't matter. God, I surrender it. And it came from the verbal abuse of my childhood. God, these were the things that were said to me. I surrender them to you to receive your beauty of who I really am. Mm-hmm. And so doing you know, for me, prayer is just that it's a, Sometimes it's a real hard conversation with God, a real honest one about um, how we feel about ourselves and uh, admitting that those thoughts aren't always good, even about ourselves and being willing to say, Lord, I surrender even my thoughts to you. Um, Mm -hmm. As Paul says, we take captive every thought and imagination, right, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I think that we have to be mindful that our thoughts, you know we can unintentionally weaponize them against ourselves. Mm. Um, but, but the power of God's word has the power to take them captive. Mm. Mm.
0: Okay, Michael, he talked about um, beauty from ashes. So you got to talk a little bit about your story and about your book, Painting with Ashes. And I want to hear you kind of integrate.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, th- this is not about that, but definitely just resonating with everything that that you've shared. And uh, when you said, you know, vulnerability is the superpower, um, the way that I've tried to think about that is through Paul's um, in in Second Corinthians where he's talking about the thorn in the flesh, um, this this wound, this trauma, whatever the thing was, we don't really know, uh, some ism he had, whatever, um, but that he asked the Lord to heal him of that, right? And he said, "My grace is sufficient for thee." for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so it's in our vulnerability, in our our ongoing um, need for God's grace and journey um, uh, toward that grace. And in that grace that we uh, have the, the unlimited power of God in our life, uh, in the life that's truly life. Um, and I've heard you talk about, um, you know, wounds becoming scars and, and how you use those actually to, you know, create, healing community. So one of the things we wanted to ask you, so in Fresh Expressions movement, we're talking about church for people that don't go to church. Usually in that group there's the 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 categories that people use, nuns and duns, um, which people are not categories, right? But that's just a, a typology that's been used. But people who have no religious affiliation or people who've been harmed by the church. Um and you've been able to actually kind of create community with those people. I mean you just talked about your house church you know, on Easter Sunday. And um, so how does that um, play out in your ministry? You know, I've talked about painting with those ashes, that that we have them, you know, that that God uses our ashes to bring healing to other, your description of, you know, our pain becomes medicine for others. Um, So how does that play out in how you're creating community with people?
2: Yeah, I think the way it plays out uh, the first step for me, um, again, as as a, as a real introvert, is a la- pushing myself to be in relationship consistently, right? Um, not just from time to time on a Sunday, but consistently, you know, reaching out to people and saying, hey, let's get together. Um, let's get coffee, let's get lunch, dinner, whatever that looks like, or let's just Be in the same room, be present, you know, and and have conversation. It looks like, you know, when I'm traveling, um, people always want to take me to the nice places. And Mm -hmm. I typically, you know, ask around like, hey, what are the bad neighborhoods, right? What's labeled around here? Like, take me there. And typically they're like, oh, you don't want to go over there. And I'm like, I definitely want to go now um, because you just <laughs> told me that I, I shouldn't, but um, I, it's me, I find that the way I cultivate those relationships and, 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 and take those ashes and paint, right? As you say, um, I look intentionally for people who are ignored. I go uh, into neighborhoods looking for talent that's been overlooked. Look, mm-hmm. I search out young people, who are gifted. I have a young man in Ghana right now I met when we uh, were out doing a canopy walk. And he was just sitting in the restaurant. He was hanging out with the people who were driving our bus. Lo and behold, he's in college. He was staying in a, a hostel. Um, so I, we helped him. I learned his story. His parents were able to help him go to school, but they couldn't afford housing, which is the case for a lot of kids. They actually practically homeless while going to college. And we, we were able to get him housing. Um, it was able to provide him with a computer. You know, he goes to a French church now. Um, they have a house church and a cry area. Um, and we stay in touch. You know, I have a student like that in Rio. Uh, I have another student, you know, right now in Nairobi. Uh, just, you know, in the U.S., I find kids too. So uh, families, it looks like when I'm out, especially when I'm speaking, I always show up early um just to hang out and listen to what's listen to the room listen to the people engage in conversations uh to really discern what god would have me do that day right Um, because for me it's it's not a scripted moment that every room is different the needs of the people are different um so it it looks like in in my day-to-day experience when i'm with people um being attentive to my surroundings Um, being attentive to who's being overlooked, Uh, the person in the corner sitting by him him or herself, Uh, the person sitting on the street that everyone either crosses the street or looks away from, right? And just going over and and being uh, courageous enough to talk. And I say courageous enough because oftentimes we hold these assumptions about what might go wrong if we just talk to a stranger, um realizing you know sometimes forgetting that we have been at times that person needing someone to just see us to look us in the eye and and just see the value in our humanity um it looks like I'll, i always ask people their names um you know even in passing or especially uh people on the streets um rarely when people on the streets are engaging someone You you know, they might give them some change or some food, but no one asked their name. Like, this is a person. This is someone who has a name and a story and a family. Mm. I've had any instances where I've helped reconnect people with their families. Um, And if, you know, they were dealing with whatever challenge might have been, but through sitting with them um, and reminding them that they're loved, um, they've been willing to take the step uh, to re-engage, re-engage the world, re-engage people. it really varies for me um i i really choose to stay open um every day when i wake up um the first words out of my mouth are thank you thank you jesus thank you yeshua um not just for the day but i express gratitude and anticipation of what god could do with that day so I'm constantly looking for what God is about to do next or what God is doing in a given moment. So that excites me.
1: Yeah, so do you think, in my own experience, um, growing up in similar circumstances with a mom who also was a substance abuser and um, who, by the way, just in the last, she's just put together eight months of sobriety. For the first time in 40 years and we're communicating for the first time and i didn't really know her and now we're kind of getting to know each other um, but i grew up in juvenile detention and all of that you know felony camps and things um, and that's definitely shaped my heart in ministry for who i think about and who keeps me up at night and um do you think your own experience and and what you live through and your story orients you to see the marginalized, to see uh, the disinherited people all around you all the time, where somebody who may have not come from um that would would that would be their first kind of instinct.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, Richard Rohr, who was a dear friend, and you know, Parker Palmer, I've got had a chance to spend time with him as well, both talk about how um, within our, our callings oftentimes are in our stories, the lives that we've lived. So, you know, I've had people say to me, man, I, I don't come from, you know, I don't have any tales from the hood like you, like, <laughs> what, what can God do with me? My life was good. And I'm like, you know, there's look at your story. What has God been telling you about who you're called to be in the world based on your story? It doesn't have to be all bad. You don't have to come from the bottom or struggle or addiction or alcoholism or you know go to jail but you have a journey that god has been present and you can see god all throughout it if you pay attention to your own story and look at even those great blessed moments as a gift that god is calling you to give back to the world those skill sets if you come from a healthy great family you now have the ability to model that for people, especially people who for environments like you and I, right? Like I learned what healthy family looked like by getting a chance to hang out around them. Like, people weren't cussing each other out and getting in fights. I was like, this is weird. Like everyone's <laughs> nice to each other, right? <laughs> like what's the catch? Um, yeah. But realizing that that's actually what normal looks like. Um, and learn modeling for people through your journey what healthy looks like what love looks like since you've experienced it what happiness and joy and fulfillment you know giving those back as gifts to other people um so yeah i I certainly believe that um what keeps us up at night doesn't often doesn't always have to be the challenges and difficulties that we've been through but sometimes it can be what how can god use all of the good that has come out of my life to give it back to others. Like what lessons can I teach? What, what can I model for other people? How can I inspire them the way the people in my life have inspired me or be present for them the way people in my life have been present for me?
1: So, so good. A follow-up question to that. So um, in, as I'm a clergy person in an inherited denominational system, okay? So you two are just kind of talking about the show and the the thing with worship. So um, part of my responsibility is to do that on Sunday mornings. OK, but I try to make it as non that as possible. But there's an element in congregations where they have an expectation of what's going to happen on a Sunday morning. Um, and there, there's this kind of I honestly am becoming more and more increasingly disillusioned with it. And it's not just the history of the church in the United States and the racism and all the different things that we've been a part of. But um the show and the 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 consumerism that's like built into the current church model, which is you come, you consume, you get your you do your thing and you go back. Um so just this last week, rather than doing a good Friday service. We we have a person of peace who's open to us, the local rehab. She's the director of the, the local uh, inpatient rehabilitation facility for people uh, recovering from substance abuse. So we did a Good Friday gathering in there. And my church people got upset. And a couple of them, not all of them, some are very supportive. And they're like, well, so we're not going to do a Good Friday you know, gathering. And, and so we got in a a little bit and I said, well, here's an opportunity for us to be with these 50 people who have no access at all to any kind of hope in this, this, you know, Holy week. So we're going to go be with them and and see what Jesus is doing in their midst. And so the the next question was, well, well, because we're going to start a little church in there now and we've gotten like the green light to do that, which is really cool. But the, the next question is, so will those people come to church at some point? Will they come be a part of all this? And that's always the question, right, Piper, that it, with the inherited church folks. But um, we're like, no, probably not. It'll be great if they do. But we're just going to go and be church with them. So I'm living in this tension all the time, like these two really different ways of being church and trying to keep the, the relationship. Um, do you see what value do you see in the inherited church? Um, what, what are, what are the strengths and weaknesses of it? Do you think from your, from your perspective?
2: Oh
1: yeah, I was, I had
2: to take a deep breath cause I was, that was, a, yeah, I, I can identify with that in a lot of ways. I've worked in churches where that was a challenge. Um, I was over a homeless ministry and we started bringing the homeless to church and, um, it was brought to us that uh maybe they should just sit in the balcony together so that they're comfortable with one another right Mm. um and that really stung um i believe that the church has a tremendous opportunity in front of it um it has always had this tremendous opportunity and always will and that opportunity is to show people what love really looks like. I believe that in order to model that love, um, we have to do some really hard work of separating who we truly are from these societal ideas of pretending and personas and you know the marketing of what life is supposed to look like um and we will always hold that tension right because we're constantly faced with through television radio social media the idea of you rather than the reality of you um but our opportunity is to as rudy says um I love you and there's nothing you can do about it, right? To be unapologetic and loving people. uh, It's a tremendous opportunity because, and it's a critical one, because as followers of Jesus, uh, for those outside the body who are nuns and duns, especially the nuns, um, we are a reflection of what God's love looks like. We are the people who say we know God. We have a relationship with this God. So how we treat them for some people is a reflection of what God thinks of them and how God treats them. So it is critical that we're mindful of how we show up in the world as those who bear the name followers of Jesus, because our words and deeds and interactions are a reflection then of who he is in the world. Um, So when people are like, why are we going there? Um, Again, we're holding intention. This idea of today, you know, has been uh, taken on by by systems to be a day of hanging out together with just us, it's us and them, Um, a day to go purchase something, right? Um, But what it really is about is going in deeper with people right? That, that's exactly what Jesus did. He he went in all the way in, right? That's why Good Friday is, is a big deal because of the depths that Jesus was willing to go for us, right? To the mm-hmm. cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so that opportunity to love people, to be all in on love is, as one of my professors used to say, uh, radically simple. And it requires us to be radical, like you say, hey, we're gonna go to this you know, place where people are dealing with addiction or what have you. Um, to be in relationship, I think that's essential. When you look at even beyond, Michael, those circumstances, the, the harsh reality that addiction rates are skyrocketing, suicide, depression, um, people are lonely and people are in need and people are hurting. And sometimes it, you can see it visibly on the streets. And sometimes it's dressed up real nice and wears a smile. Um, but when we show up to see people, to be in conversation with them in both extremes, we model what this love looks like. And that love of God literally changes and saves lives. It is truly transformative. Um, so I have... i I still have hope um for the gospel and what who christ has called us to be um i also have hope for the church because the church is changing um fresh expressions are growing um house churches are growing people want this they just don't want the systematized version Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not that they don't want the lord it's not that they don't want the community and the and the gathering of believers, they want it, they yearn for it, it's obvious. We see it all the time. Um, Co-working spaces and things like that, because people want to be around each other, right? Um, But they don't want the fluff of traditional business. Um, And I think the same is is happening for the church. So uh, I believe we're on the cusp of of, um, a, a new season for the body globally. Um, God willing, especially um, here in in America, um, I certainly see it across the world. But um, mm-hmm. I, I believe here at home too, it, it's happening. When I hear you talk about fresh expressions, that's like it's happening, right? Um, so I don't see that as a one off. I see that as this is a move of God, right? mm-hmm. and this is an example of God moving. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, so since you mentioned uh, Rudy Rasmus, tell tell us a little bit about y'all's relationship and how you've influenced each other. And
2: Yeah, Rudy is family to me. Uh, he's Uncle Rudy and Auntie Juanita. Um, I remember when I first met Rudy, I was working on Capitol Hill. I owned a consulting company, you know, tailor-made suits and Ferragamo shoes and, you know, mm-hmm. just really putting on a good show. And years later, Rudy said to me, you know, back then, I knew you were a good person. I just wasn't sure if you knew it yet. Mm. And that, you know, that statement was very true. I I was performing more than I was a person. Um, and it took time for me to live into that with people like you and Rudy. People who are really like, yeah, I'm not interested in your show. Like, who are you? Right? Like, what's your story? Why do you care? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, who want to know your heart? Who want to know the person? And pushing uh, you to to answer those questions and really look at yourself. I, I value those types of relationships. Um, we're we're truly more than just friends. We're we're really like family. Um, and I have a core group of people I'm like that with, and that core is starting to grow. Um, I'm adding people to it and modeling for them. Here's what loyalty, commitment, trust. And friendship looks like. Some of it is stuff I learned when I was in the hood. Um, like, if I have a sandwich and you're hungry, you get half. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know, you don't have permission to tell me you're hungry and I don't do something about it if I'm sitting here with food, right? We're friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so modeling what this looks like, where everything is, an ex- is not an exchange. Um, you know, it's not a what can you do for me, but it's really just being present with people um celebrating their victories and encouraging them through their challenges and being practical when they have challenges not just oh i'm gonna pray for you like no i've had joe daniels who pastors emory united methodist in dc when i've had hard times his one question is what do you need and Hmm. i'll tell him and he'll do he'll say i'm going to do my best to help you out i mean we have to show up for people with that what do you need posture and pray for them as well, but we can take action for people in our lives
0: It's
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh, cool. I have to look I was um I'll have to read up a little bit on um, Rudy. sounds really cool.
2: It's how, yeah, his um, story is actually in I Wish My Dad. Um, ah,
0: cool. Yeah, you
2: know, his relationship with his father. And Joe Daniels is also in the book. Uh, George Acevedo, uh, Michael's yeah. in there. Yeah, so mm-hmm. their stories of their relationship with their fathers are in there.
0: Yeah. I think um, parental relationships are such a good um, example of, I think, love because. In a, the kind of love that I think God is drawing us towards um, healthy parental relationships where it's a giving love. You know, a kid is born and they're 100 percent reliant on you for every single thing. Um, Michael, you have two brand new grandbabies right now. And so, you know, all about that. They need everything for to be taken care of so that they can thrive. And love is an essential aspect of that. And sometimes even if you, I have a friend who has a brand new baby and he talks about how there are times when he's so tired and he's so frustrated and the baby is just screaming and screaming and he, but he's like, even though maybe I don't emotionally feel it in this moment, I know that I love this baby and that I would do anything for her. And so it, it's a challenge to make love is not just something that you feel, but it is, it's a commitment and it's a way that you act and exist in the world.
2: Hmm. Absolutely. Love is definitely actionable. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's um, it's it's way more than a feeling. As you pointed out, you don't always feel like loving people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, at the same time, you know that there's something that compels you to take action on their behalf. Um, love is, you know, through our words, uh, compassionate, safe touch. You know, hugs are so important. Um, I didn't realize that until I was an adult. Um, how much not being hugged, uh, had an impact on how I show up in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I have friends who are huggers and and until therapy, it used to freak me out when they would hug me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really didn't understand it back because it wasn't modeled for me. And I had to learn, uh, the value and importance of compassionate touch and a hug, um, Mm -hmm even embracing the words, I love you and letting myself feel that. Right. Um, And then modeling it in my own family. Like now, you know, I tell, I grew up in a family where people didn't say, I love you often, if ever. Um, But now Mm -hmm. they do because I've modeled it and I say it, even if they don't say it back, Um, it doesn't take away my right to love and give voice to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So the language of love, and, and treating people in a loving way, um, just has so much power uh, to change lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about the need for um, physical touch, I remember my freshman year of college, you know, I'm like, you know, even just maybe like a month or two into it. And I'm, you know, completely on my own, away from my family with all these new people. So they're new friends. So we're not to like the hugging stage yet with a lot of them. And the first time I hugged one of my friends, I was like, oh, and I realized just how badly that I needed just like a little bit of affection and how, how that had always kind of sustained me in childhood, being able to turn to my sisters or my parents and to get a hug when I needed it. Um, and I think, and the same thing I think about when ministering with um, folks who tend to be shut-ins, older people who live alone and who don't get to have as many conversations and who don't interact and you know maybe have their spouses anymore with them. Um, a lot of, I think about our, a pastor's kid. So I grew up in church. And so a lot of um old ladies come up and just hold your hand and just talk to you while they hold and squeeze and hold and squeeze and just letting them do that and enjoying that with them. And knowing that that little bit of physical touch is, um is, is a spiritual act for them and for you. It can be so powerful, you know.
2: And there's research around this, right? There's like real research of what happens to a child that isn't held and hugged versus one that is, um, Mm -hmm. how it impacts them emotionally and even mentally with brain development, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we look at the gospels, how many times did Jesus touch people that other people did not want to touch? Mm -hmm. And that that healing came from touch, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about, you know, those who are outside the body, it's like, are they gonna come here, right? as as a part of like i don't want to touch them but that their healing is in that touch not in the distance Mm -hmm. um their their healing our healing is in that touch i mean you've mentioned i remember when i was a medic in the military afterwards i was preparing to go to medical school before seminary and worked in a hospital and i'll never forget abe cohen uh abe cohen was an older gentleman that would only let me give him his shots Mm -hmm. and none of the nurses not even the doctors i would walk in there and abe would hold my hand and he would say you know it's okay for you to do it right um because i was one who didn't stand at the foot of the bed and talk to him over there i would go up beside him and you know maybe place my hand on his shoulder or reach and hold his hand and so he felt safer with me
1: Mm -hmm. um
2: so you know just I, you know I have those experiences of yeah that uh, physical touch a hug holding someone's hand when we do that in church sometimes I'm, I'm mindful that that is the one time and God knows how long someone has actually had someone else hold their hand mm-hmm. in a loving way without asking for something without you know it being an exchange of anything but to just hold hands as part of the body of Christ um, is their moment to feel that compassionate touch
1: so good
0: yeah.
1: and i feel like since the pandemic um that it's been even harder like it was already kind of sketchy in church touch right because that's we really blown it there right particularly yeah. um but it's even harder now where people are so kind of against touch um and for good reason touch has been used in really terrible ways across church history obviously but you know just safe healing uh the ability to exchange touch seems so diminished yeah we
2: have the opportunity to redeem touch Hmm. right um from those difficult as you mentioned things that have happened to people to redeem it through the what showing people what safe compassionate loving touch is right um and so it's been redeemed for me you know i was one who had was anxious about touch and hugs uh, but you know loving people have redeemed that for me um, not just with my children my children used to know i had this issue with hugs so they would just hug me and not let go um, but you know that and with friendships and just with connection i think that Um, we have the opportunity to redeem those types of things for people and put them back in their rightful place, right? Mm -hmm. Um, As one of my, I forget who it was, he said, there is no sacred and secular, right? Which at that moment was like a trigger for everyone. What do you mean there's no sacred and secular? He said, well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? If God created everything, there's only those things that are sacred and those things that need to be redeemed for sacred purposes, Mm -hmm. right? So, How do we engage people in a way that models for them what redemption looks like with touch, with hearing "I love you," uh, with building relationships? We live in a world where everyone says, "Oh, you can't trust anyone." How do we redeem trust, right? And what does that look like in
1: relationship with
2: people? Mm. Yeah.
1: So, so you can bring kind of a a global perspective to this um, question that uh, is unique. When you think about the future of the church 30 years from now, 40 years from now, what do you see? I see,
2: um, I don't see megachurches anymore. Um, I I think from what I've been seeing around the world, um, when I've been in Paris, from Paris to London, to Ghana, to Kenya, to Nigeria, I see more and more house churches. Um, I see church happening in more context. Uh, my prayer right now is three years from now I'll be starting some form of fresh expression in Nairobi. I'm looking to potentially move there, or sp- at least spend half the year there uh, every year, starting three years from now. But um, what creating those spaces that are modeling. Um, Christian community in some very unique ways. Um, I see technology playing more of a role in it that we will have to be careful with, um, because technology can also help us, you know, be threaten us losing connection with physical engagement. Um, but uh, I'm noticing technology be playing a bigger role um, as an opportunity to reach even more people uh, for Jesus and, and show them love. Um, Yeah, I think the biggest thing is as the church grows in terms of followers of Jesus, the expressions of that are actually smaller. And you'll see, like, if you laid out a global map, you just see, you know, thousands upon thousands of small dots everywhere because it's not just Big Steeple anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I I really think, and I know it's hard for some people to hear, but I think Big Steeple. More kind of a, a museum experience. Um, it, it's not the way the church is going to look. Um, and that'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. People will remember big church experience, uh, big steeple experience, like remember the rotary phone, right? Like, wow, you guys used to do church like that? Like, mm-hmm. how did you get <laughs> know each other? Like- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I saw recently there was somebody was like, oh, no, like my childhood's in the museum. And there was a museum display and they had, um, you know, they had like little like the first flip phones and they had a PS2,
2: PlayStation 2. I was like,
0: no, that can't be so old that you put it in a museum. But it's (laughs) happening, you know,
2: it's happening. It's happening to the church. We're seeing more and more new experiences of church, church happening in coffee shops bookstores you know mm-hmm. search i know a guy this is gonna sound crazy but um he's in uh esther Rivera south africa he has a church across the street from a gang that ran a strip joint he went mm-hmm. over there and he said look you guys have girlfriends i will perform the weddings and they said you would do that like you know what we do in the streets and he was like yes but if you want a wife and is with this, you want to be married to this woman you're with, I will perform the weddings. And he said, but under one condition, you got to let me come in and do a Bible study for the strippers. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, that's not going to work. Sure. Come on in. Let's see what happens with that. Within two years, they had to close the strip joint because all the strippers uh, didn't want to be strippers anymore. <laughs> um, it's still a place where they do Bible study, but now he does Bible study with gang members. And they're two rival gangs, and there have been decreased violence. Um, when things happened, he's the pastor who goes and brokers peace, protects families. But again, he had to go and engage people who were deemed untouchable. Of course, as church members thought it was absolutely ridiculous when it started. Um, And those women who were once in a strip joint are now church members with a testimony of the power of God. Um, And they have the ability to go out into the community because they they know people and they know what's happening and they go out with the gospel um, and a testimony. And so um, it's just amazing what God is doing when we decide to be you know to take this love and and be radically simple with it Mm -hmm. just
1: reach people
0: Mm -hmm. i love that
1: that's probably the answer we've ever had (laughs) yes that's good (laughs) so good
0: love that it doesn't have to be complicated let's simplify it you know start from the simplicity of love and whatever comes from that you know can't be bad right (laughs)
2: yeah
0: awesome well our last question um, where can our listeners find you online? Where can they buy your new book? Where can they hear you speak next? Give us some, the lowdown.
2: Yeah, so everyone can find me on any social media platforms at my name, Ramal Uh It's R-O-M-A-L-T-U-N-E uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those platforms. Um, the book, I Wish My Dad, is on all bookselling platforms. There's also a website for it. Um, I wish my dad.com uh, where we have some cool videos that we pull from our YouTube um, where I'm speaking next uh, I will be in Asheville this weekend uh, the weekend of the 30th I'll be on Milwaukee uh, Lamb of God church and then I'll be in Boston uh, after that but all of the dates are on uh, I wish my dad.com. you can see the calendar there so dc milwaukee Asheville, boston are the upcoming trips and um yeah so that's
1: that's where people awesome. can find
0: cool Thanks. thank you so much for joining us this was a really really awesome conversation
1: yeah thank you ramal so good yes
2: yeah, thank you, Piper and Michael, for having me. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation and the questions. Great questions. Thank you. Mm, yeah,
0: I wish you good. I always feel like this at the end of an episode. I want to go for another hour. I got more, <laughs> more questions, more things, and stories and stuff. You know.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm gonna have to follow up with you guys, Michael. I want to just come hang out down there. After hearing you speak in Florida, I was like, I just want to go hang out and see what they're doing, like mm. just to be around it for a while. Just, to, I think I would
1: enjoy that. So. from the tattoo
0: church at the end of the month
1: tattoo church coming up yeah (laughs) last day of the month we can get some ink together i
2: I need some new ink i got a few in mind so um i have to figure out i know in uh july i have some time and i'm free all of august so i have to follow up and get on your calendars would be great to come just hang out
1: yeah i'd love that
0: cool Uh, And to those listening, thank you for joining in on this episode of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed our conversation with Romal, you can share it with a friend and um, uh, do a little like and uh, subscribe and give us a rating wherever you're listening. And if you'd like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See you next time on New People, New Ways.